0: Morning again. Uh, I'm still David. Uh, (laughs) Morning to you. So over the last three weeks, uh, we have been talking as a church about how God has placed an incredible opportunity uh, in our laps. And that is that the corner lot, uh, just as you can see there to the north of our property, has miraculously come available uh, to us even before it went on the market. And as you can see, uh, we we entered into a purchase agreement. And you can see on the screen that we had $108,000 left to raise. So we could put a down payment on this, secure this property. So last week, if you were here, we took a special offering at the end of our service to try and raise $108,000 in one morning. Uh, And I want to tell you the results this morning. And so uh, once again, our goal was $108,000. Here's what came in. It is uh, $224,598. It's pretty I don't know. I, if you're not if you're not good at math, that's actually more than double. Uh, so I, I listen, I just want to be upfront. We were not joking. I said this I think in at least one of the services last week. The most we had ever raised in one day for a special offering was thirty thousand dollars. I know the church is bigger now, okay double it, sixty thousand, right? And so it it it's just really is remarkable. That's just the Lord moving, and I don't I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, here's the deal though, we said a number of times that Uh, we needed 300,000 total with the leaders and everything that was already given to put down. And what we have now in the bank with a combination of this and our leaders is we have over $400,000, which is awesome. Um, I do want to say, though, that the property is still $1.3 million, and so what we're going to do is we're going to take all of those extra funds, all of the $400,000, and we're just going to put it all down on the property, and that then is going to actually save our church a decent amount of money in the long run because then that's just less interest that we're having to pay, so thank you. Thank you for your generosity. You know, There's never been a time in the history of this church when we've had a moment like this where we needed to raise money for something that the Lord hasn't just provide it. And so it's just amazing. So I just want to pause just for a second, and I think we just need to pray and just thank the Lord. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, that you do this again and again and again and again in our church. I just thank you for the generosity of these people that I get to serve with, and that you, they are listening to you. You are moving through them. And Lord, may we just be good stewards of it, and may the gospel just ring out. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you came... Uh, Anytime past 10.15 or whatever this morning, you probably saw our parking lot filled. Uh, So this is going to be really great. Okay. All right. So let's get into our Bible teaching uh, for this morning. Last week, we started our brand new summer series on the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. If you weren't here last week, let me just kind of quickly summarize for you where we are in the Bible. And so early on in the Bible, God promises the land of Canaan to the Israelites. Well, a few centuries go by, the Israelites find themselves enslaved in Egypt, and as slaves, they cry out to God. God hears their cry, he sends them Moses as a leader, and then he sends 10 plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Eventually, the Israelites get free, they go through the Red Sea, and then they go into the Sinai Peninsula, the desert, just kind of on the far northeast end of Egypt, and they wander around there for 40 years. Well, at the end of 40 years, Moses dies, and his apprentice, Joshua, takes over as leader of the Israelites. He's gonna lead the people through the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. And that's kind of where we are in the book of Joshua. They still haven't quite crossed the, the Jordan River. So if you haven't grabbed one yet, grab a, everybody grab a Bible. There's Bibles under the chairs in front of you. We want you looking at this. It's not going to be on the screen. So, what we do here. We study God's Word. So pick one up. We're going to be on page 146. If you're in the front row, they're underneath your chair. So Once the Israelites get into the promised land, they're gonna need to conquer the promised land. So God has said that judgment is coming for these nations that are there because they have committed great, great sin. We're talking child sacrifice, all of this stuff and we're going to talk about that kind of that touchy subject of that as we get into that part of the book more in the middle of the summer. But as they conquer the Promised Land, the first city that they're going to come to is the city of Jericho. Now, Joshua wants to get a little bit more military intel on the city of Jericho. So, here's what he's going to do. So, page 146, we are Joshua chapter 2. So, you look for that big number 2 and we're starting right there, right at verse 1. Here's what it says. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them, quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Okay, let's stop there for a second. The first question that people usually have when they read this section is, what were the spies doing at the house of a prostitute? Okay, fair question. Now, we can't really know for certain, right? But most likely, I don't think we should assume the worst here. In other places in the Bible, when you see in the Hebrew scriptures, when people go to see a prostitute for more than, let's just say, conversation, it doesn't read like this. Okay, so if you look at verse 1. It says what? It says they entered the house of a prostitute. So they're not at a place of business, a business of ill repute here. They are at her home. Uh, Perhaps her family is there too. Well, okay, but why why that house? Well, number one, it's because of what God is going to do through her unique story, which you're going to see in a bit. And then secondly, it's because her house is in this really, really, really strategic place in the city of Jericho. And we're going to see that uh, right now in this next section. So we're at verse eight now. Verse eight says this. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all that live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed." When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in, so this is partly why they're there, the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there for three days until they return and then go on your way. Okay, a couple of things I want to point out in this particular section. So the people of Jericho, they are scared to death of this massive Israelite army that's almost on their doorstep. They have heard of God's great wonders and his mighty deeds. And Rahab takes it even a step further. Now, before we get to this, remember, Rahab is a pagan. And I don't say that in a derogatory way. She, just, she literally is a pagan. That means she prays to stone and wood statues, idols. But look at what she says. Look at verse 11, if you have it on your lap still. She says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Okay, what is she acknowledging? She's acknowledging that the Israelite God, Yahweh, that he is the one true God and the only God. That's huge. And she wants to trust in him and she wants to be saved by him. And they say, okay, we'll make this deal. We can save you. How in the world are they going to save her? A huge army coming. It's a big city. We're going to get the details now. Let's finish out the passage. So verse 17 says this. Now, The men said to her, The oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we're doing, We will be released from the oath, you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Then, excuse me, when they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days, that's what she told them to do, until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Okay, so here's, a, I think, the most important part of this passage. Rahab is told that if she wants to be saved from this coming death, that she should tie a scarlet. Now, if you don't remember, like, your Crayola box of crayons, uh, scarlet is just a bright red color. That She should tie the scarlet cord or thread, it's the same thing, on her window, and then when the Israelites come, they'll know to save whoever is in that house. Now, the symbolism of the scarlet thread is deep, and it runs through the scriptures. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. So, just to start, if you go back 40 years before this moment, the Israelites, they're still in Egypt, And we're just about to the 10th and final plague, which is the plague of the firstborn. And so God has told everyone in Egypt that through Moses, that all of the firstborn sons are going to die. The angel of death is going to come through in the night and there's only one way that they can be saved. Here are the instructions that God gave through Moses. I'll just put it on the screen for you so you can see it for the 10th plague. Exodus 12 says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once, and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of, your, of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door and your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top of the so- and sides of the doorframe and will pass over, that's where we get Passover from, pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. And not only did that happen, the Israelites were saved by painting this scarlet red blood over their doorframes. They were then told to commemorate the Passover, this incredible moment in spiritual history every year on the same day. And so that important event, the Passover, is fresh on their minds. And I'll explain that in a second as they're talking to Rahab and they're telling her to put this scarlet thread over her window as a symbol that she will be saved from the coming destruction. This is actually quite fascinating. So if you were to Jump ahead a couple chapters into Joshua chapter 5. You would see that the Israelites, they get across the Jordan River. I just gave it away. Spoiler alert. They get across the Jordan River, and now they're camped out right near Jericho. It says that they're in the plains of Jericho, right outside the city. It's the night before they're going to begin marching around the city. Out of all the days of the year, guess what day it is? Passover. Passover. Pass. I'll prove it to you. Joshua five ten. Here it is. It says, "On the evening of the fourteenth day of the month, this is the night before they're coming to Jericho, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover." Okay. So watch this. As Rahab's scarlet thread is hanging up over her window as a sign of her salvation from the coming judgment, the Israelites are just outside of the city essentially doing the same thing. They're remembering how the scarlet blood of the lamb was over their doorframes, saving them from the coming judgment. You wanna hear something even more fascinating? Now, for centuries now, a theologian, a theologian is just somebody who studies God, studies the Bible, Theologians have written uh, a decent amount on a particular theme in the Bible that interestingly enough, is also called the Scarlet Thread. And it's not that there are literal scarlet threads all over the Bible, you don't wanna take it there. It's just they have called this theme, the Scarlet Thread, the Scarlet Thread for a long time. And this theme is the storyline that runs from the beginning all the way to the end of the Bible, talking about the justice and the forgiveness and the salvation of God, all pertaining to blood. Either the symbolism of blood or actual blood. Uh, William Evans once said this about the Bible. He said, you can cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. Uh, Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter nine, tells us this about justice and forgiveness. 9.22, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So we continually see this theme, this scarlet thread, throughout this entire book. So let me show you, in the beginning, first couple chapters of the Bible, you have Adam and Eve, right, they sin. And one of the ways that God makes it right is you actually have the first animal sacrifice. And the scarlet blood begins to happen and this animal sacrifice allows for coverings for Adam and Eve and their sin. You keep going in the book of Genesis, you get to Abraham, he's supposed to sacrifice his son Isaac, but God provides a ram. Instead, and again, the scarlet blood is there. and this story of justice, forgiveness, and salvation, it continues to show up again and again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. Of course, we see it at Passover. We see this creative nod to it in the book of Joshua with Rahab. You see it through the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. At the tabernacle and at the temple, when the Israelites sin, what they were supposed to do as a sign, that's not how they earned it, but as a symbol of their forgiveness, they would sacrifice animals at the temple. And that was a sign, a symbol that they believed that the justice for their sin was being diverted somewhere else. Justice and punishment and salvation all connected to the blood. It's the scarlet thread. And the scarlet thread appears again most prominently in the New Testament with the story of Jesus. So Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist announces him by saying, behold, the Lamb of God. He's nodding back to the scarlet thread, to the Old Testament, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of, our, of the world. And Jesus comes, he teaches, he loves, and then he dies, right? And he, he bleeds, scarlet red on the cross. And in doing so, he's doing the same thing of all these stories in the Old Testament. God had been preparing his people for a long time. And he dies, taking the punishment off of us onto him so that through his blood, we can be forgiven. And the Bible promises you that if you believe in that, that you can be forgiven. Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter one, verse seven uh, says it this way. It says in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. This is the scarlet thread. So when it says in him, that's in Jesus, we have redemption. What does it mean when you redeem something? Like at the store, it means that you, 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 you buy it back. There's an exchange, right? It's made right. You are saved. We are saved through his blood, forgiven through his blood, made right through his sacrifice on the cross. See, the scarlet thread all throughout the scriptures is always pointing us to Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And so think of it this way. Just as the Israelite slaves during the 10 plagues, just as their saved from the coming judgment because by faith, they went out to their doorframes. And by the way, don't over-spiritualize these people. right? They are just like you and me. And so you better believe that they went out and they were looking at the blood going, I'm seriously supposed to put this on my doorframe? <laughs> like, what, what like what is this gonna do? And yet by faith, they believe the word of God. They say, all right, here we go. And they paint it, and they come in under it, and they are saved from the coming judgment. Same thing, you look to Rahab, and Rahab was saved from the coming judgment because by faith, she took this scarlet thread. And don't think that she was just like, oh yeah, the scarlet thread, she's going, There's like an army of like a million people out there. They've already destroyed these other kings. They're coming for us. And I'm going to hang a thread on my window. And yet by faith, what does she do? She hangs it up. And she comes in under it. Everybody gets in her house. And they are saved from the coming judgment. That's the scarlet thread all throughout Scripture. It's the same with Jesus Christ. That when you paint the blood of Jesus over your life, now that sounds kind of like, oh, that's really spiritual. All that means is, is that you take Jesus and his death for you, and you make that the central thing of your life. He's the king of your life. And you are coming up under the fact that Jesus died for me. And you come up under that and say, I'm living for this. I believe in that, that you too can be saved from the judgment that you and I deserve. It's the scarlet thread. That's the thread that the Bible is teaching from beginning to end. The Bible does not teach the thread of good deeds. And I think lots of times, especially in American Christianity over the centuries, we continue to fall into that. And even as Christians, I think we fall back into that. And many of you in this room, you hung the scarlet thread over your lives when you were five or 15, maybe 25 But let's just be honest. In all practice right now, it's like you've forgotten that the scarlet thread is hanging over your life. Some of you have just been just struggling in shame lately over what happened this week, the last couple months. And you're thinking about your relationship with God, and you're going, "Ah." and not that God doesn't want us to be holy and repent. Absolutely, he does. But you're going, I don't know if he even loves me as much anymore. I mean, how could he... We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what He did. It's the scarlet thread. Others of you, it's, 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 I find it easy to kind of regress into this sort of works based relationship with God where you forget about the scarlet thread and you think, you know what? I think, sort of the opposite of shame is pride, right? And you think, I think God's probably pretty pleased with me. Again, not that He isn't pleased and not pleased, but you're going, yeah, I've been really good lately. I've kind of been, I'm on like a 17 days streak on you version or whatever it is, right? I'm doing pretty good, and God is our standing with God is not determined by our good deeds or lack of good deeds. It's by the scarlet thread, it's by his death, it's by his mercy. And that's it. Okay, this is why we study God's word. Because wherever you cut it, it bleeds. And what we see over and over again is this is how we are saved. This is where our standing in him lies. It is under the scarlet thread. I will say this to you. Listen, when you have to face judgment, so when you, when you die, or Jesus comes back first, whatever happens, when you die, imagine standing one-on-one with God Almighty. In that moment, I am telling you right now from the word of God, your good deeds, no matter how many you have, they cannot save you. They can't, because you will still have sin. You can see it even in the story with Rahab. They tell her, they're really specific, here's how you're gonna be saved. If you don't do this, you're not gonna be saved. This is how you're gonna be saved. So if Rahab goes out and she goes, oh, I don't know, that's like super weird to put a thread on my window. and. You know what, I'm not gonna do that. And she walks out and she's wandering in the street and let's say 10 days later, the army comes in and they see Rahab in the streets and they go, what are you doing? Where were you? And she goes, you know what, that was just kind of weird to me. I didn't want to like put my life under that. But I want you to know in the last 10 days, I've been feeding the homeless. I've been counseling those with anxiety or worried about you guys out there. They're gonna say, that wasn't the deal. We gave you a way to be saved and it wasn't by your own good deeds. It was by your faith in the real God. And it's the exact same for us. Look to the scarlet thread again. It is God's grace through our faith that saves us and nothing else. And if you don't know Jesus personally, and I, and I don't mean like you don't know about Jesus. I think a lot of people know about Jesus, right? And you come to church, some. I'm saying you don't actually know Jesus personally. I'm talking like you have a relationship with Jesus. This story that we're reading today, incredibly good news. This is why God uses Rahab the prostitute, okay? That's why they're in the house. Because some of you, you have said to God, there is no way that you could love me and forgive me. And you would say to me, if we were talking one-on-one, you'd say, okay, I know you talk about God's love and forgiveness, but David, you don't know what I've done. And it is messy. And I would say to you, let me tell you this. God intentionally puts Rahab the prostitute in the Bible to teach you this exact point, that there is nothing that you can do that is too sinful for God to forgive. Nothing. And here's the cool thing about Rahab not only that, God comes in, He forgives her, she gets to know Him, they, they save her, and God turns her life around. Did you know in the New Testament that Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus? Did you know in the New Testament, if you read in Hebrews chapter 11, there's this amazing chapter, it's called the Hall of Faith. And the writer goes through and he starts listing, listing. here's all the great people from history who had amazing faith and God did amazing things for them. And he starts listing, It's Noah, and of course there's Abraham, and there's Jacob, and then there's Moses. And then he says, and then there's Rahab the prostitute. That's what it says. Why? Because When you stop trying to figure this out on your own, and you stop trying to earn your way to God, and you truly, from your heart, you say, God, this is it. I give up. I'm hanging up the scarlet thread. I can't do this anymore. Save me. What happens is then he comes in. You invite him in. And he comes in, and he starts moving, and he starts changing you again. And here's the thing. Our God is so good. God... Can take This is what he can do in your life. God can take someone who used to be a prostitute and put them in the hall of faith. That's what my God can do. That's who he is, and he can do that in your life. But it comes from you saying, I surrender. I'm going your way. I trust. I believe you. I believe you died for me. And some of you, you're just at this moment in your life where today is the day. You just need to do that, Okay. And they just want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. So let's just have everybody just close your eyes and just bow your heads. Just just for a minute, everybody in the room. If God's word and God's spirit is just penetrating your heart this morning, and you're hearing this truth that God loves you, he's seen everything that you've done, and he loves you so much, he sent his own son, Jesus, to die in your place, to take the penalty for your sins. And the Bible has just told you that if you believe in that, you hang that truth over your life and say, yes, that's what I believe in. You will be saved from the judgment that you deserve for your sins. He will save you. But this is the way. There's no other way. No other name but Jesus. But he will save you right now and come into your life and turn it around. That's amazing. That is the gift in front of you. And if you need to hang up that scarlet thread this morning, Say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Do it. Do it. In fact, as a way for you to kind of symbolically hang up that thread, what I'm going to ask you to do in a second is just to quietly stand up where you are. Nobody's looking at you. Their eyes are closed. But sometimes we need that scarlet thread hang up moment. And so if that's you and you know in your heart right now that you just need the forgiveness of God, and you need him in your life to be forgiven, would you just stand up wherever you're at right now and say, yeah, God, is me. I want to follow. Here I am. If that's you, go ahead and stand up right now. Anyone here where you're feeling like, yeah, it's me, God, it just is me? Maybe you even feel nervous about it. I'm sure Rahab was like, people are going to be talking about what is this threat all about? But she did, because she knew that she needed it, she needed salvation. Anyone in this room that just needs that salvation, you need to be forgiven by God. All right, amen. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. All right. Anyone else? You just know that you need it. I'll give you about 10 more seconds. You just need Jesus to be the king of your life. You need him to come in. Would you just stand? Amen. Amen. All right, for those of you who have made this decision, we want to pray with you. If you're still thinking about it, you're like, oh, I should have stood up. Just stand up. If that's you, we want to pray with you. The Bible says when we get to this moment, we believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouths. So I'm going to pray a prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It's just a prayer for you to talk to God from the bottom of your heart. In fact, I want you to say it out loud. Whether you just made this decision or you've been following Jesus for a long time, would you just repeat this after me? Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. you. But God, I believe believe. that you sent your son Jesus Jesus. to take my place. place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Everyone still has their eyes closed. For the number of you that stood up, uh, we need you to do one more thing. This is so important because you just made the most significant decision of your life. And you don't want to make a decision like that and then just try and figure it out. And so we want to give you some extremely important resources so you know what the next steps are. Steps kind of one, two, and three. So in just a second, I'm going to pray. And what I want you to do is sneak out of your row, head on to the lobby. I and our follow-up team will meet you there just for a few minutes to give you those next steps. There are a number of you that stood up. Our follow-up team will be moving. So a lot of people will be it, moving at once, so don't worry about that. But as I pray, I want you to go out there, I'll meet you for a few minutes, and then you'll be able to come right back in the service. But that's super key that you do that, okay? Right, right, I'll pray, and you can, you can go as I pray. Go ahead. Lord, thank you so much. We love you. We trust you. We thank you for your grace. We think you would get to watch it happen here every week, Jesus. That it's not enough. We can't do it. We can't earn it. We're a mess, God. But you love us, and you move in, and you start to change that mess, and we just love it. We run back to you now, and we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.